0: Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include industry consolidation, my interview with Richie May, Seth Sprague on the servicing marketplace, strategic planning, and returns to profitability from an advisory perspective, and the latest earnings report from Fannie Mae. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Richie May. Richie May is a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services to the mortgage industry for almost four decades. Among many awards, Richie May has been named a top 100 firm twice and is known in the market for their education and contributions to the mortgage industry. They don't just hire from the mortgage industry, they have the experts who build it. To experience how Richie May can help you transform your mortgage business, visit May.com. Change is inevitable, except from a vending machine. Corporate changes are the name of the game. Atlanta's Crescent Mortgage's bank owner is aligning all mortgage facets of the enterprise and moving to retail only and eliminating third party. Rather than wind down, Colorado's Universal Lending is inking an agreement with Lower LLC in a partnership setting up universal home loans being in the same markets as a division of Lower LLC. Every discussion that I've had with real estate agents lately involves A, thousands of agents leaving the business due to the lack of business, and B, how 8% mortgage rates have absolutely ground transactions and even interest in looking at properties to a halt. Meanwhile, I'm having similar conversations with loan originators as A, NMLS licenses are declining, and B, 8% mortgage rates have ground activity to a halt. From a broker dealer's perspective, Gamble's Trade Desk reported that, quote, supply limped into the weekend, closing at $1.2 billion amid a light rate move, dragging the five-day average to $1.8 billion. end quote. For today's interview, I want to welcome back to the show Richie May, Seth Sprague to talk about the servicing marketplace, strategic planning, and returns to profitability from an advisory perspective. With extensive experience in mortgage banking and mortgage servicing, Seth leads Richie May's mortgage banking consulting services practice. He also serves as a strategic leader for the entire Richie May suite of services, including profitability and operational reviews, strategic planning, mortgage servicing rights, strategy, retained versus released, and cash flow optimization. I had heard for the last couple of years that a lot of servicing sales happen in the beginning of the year. And is that, has that been the case in 2023? And if so, generally speaking, why is that that sales happen earlier in the year?
1: Um, you know, it's a, I, I think it depends on the year. Um, if we go back in history and look at twenty twenty two, when rates started rising, a lot of deals happened in Q two, Q three, and Q four. Uh, though we sort of overwhelmed the market, I'd say this year it's been much more of a balanced year i would say that the some of the data that's out there from recursion or other folks right it's it's a little bit skewed with some of these transfer data cuz you've got some large transactions like homepoint in there but you know wells has done some big trades and us bank has done some trades i i, I think typically q4 uh the, the 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 folks in the space you know the brokers and the and the advisors in that space tend to tell people to you know uh, deals uh Buy-side demand can dry up. People are full. uh, Wait till Q1 because they want to get the year off to a good start. So it it depends on the level of rates. I would say this year is a little bit more traditional. It seems like it's slowing here in Q4. And quite frankly, as we sit here almost at Halloween, or I guess it will be Halloween tomorrow, um, it will be, um, you know, it starts to be sharks in the water, right? If I got to get a sale done at year end, People know it. I got. I'm not going to get as good, as strong an execution, as great a price, and so they try to get it done a little bit earlier in the fourth quarter to avoid sort of that, you know, December trade uh, fire sale type mentality. That I think some of the uh, valuation broker firms will tell you is out there. Well,
0: if we're saying it's wise to avoid the December fire sale, hmm. how do you advise clients on the the timing? of MSR deals, because uh, gen- generally speaking, is is there uh, does it have to do with rate movement? Does it have to do with a different point in the year? Does it have to do with what's on their books in terms of volume? How, how do you advise?
1: I actually advise them slightly differently than the, f- the firms that make a living at this. One of the things I always tell people that look at an MSR sale that I think is an area that's sort of forgotten about is escrow advances. Like when are your escrow analysis being done on your portfolio, and you might want to get a sale done you know three, four months before that escrow analysis comes out, and there's a massive shortage uh, the buyers don't like that, but from a cash perspective, you're trying to preserve cash, understanding when your escrow advances is critical, but look to really time the market is almost impossible, right because you know, Wells Fargo at any point in time could dump a bunch of servicing and kind of of squirrel up the market. So it's really making sure that you stay in touch with the valuation firms, the advisor firms that are in that space to try to get your deal slotted appropriately to get the right amount of attention. But it could be one week in July could be great and the next week can be crowded with deals. And so it's really hard to predict that when those deals are coming to market, but making sure that you've got uh, a good sales selection and kind of the pivot, make sure you're a strong counterparty. Make sure that your financials are in good shape. Increasingly, you know, the best execution that's out there really is around str- uh, financially viable companies that are selling servicing and have more servicing to sell. That's the most attractive to the buy side right now. Um, in addition, I'm hearing there's just an absolute shortage of not surprisingly, that 3% ultra low servicing that everyone wants on their balance sheet for the duration, a lot of that's already been sold or it's sitting at places where it's unlikely to be sold. And so, you know, advising clients is really deal by deal specific. But I mean, escrow analysis and timing of escrow shortages is one to certainly be aware of that I'm not sure a lot of people pay a lot of attention to.
0: Well, shame on me for just talking about servicing here when when you do a lot more than advise on that for Richie May, And, and you mentioned cash. Uh, you're, you do have some expertise in cash flow optimization, and that's crucial for companies in this type of environment. Cash is king. Those that can uh, save cash or, or not burn through it, they're going to be the ones that come out on the other side of this relatively unscathed. So when it comes to cash flow optimization, what are some tips or tricks you're sharing with clients?
1: Really understanding the risks that they're keeping in their servicing portfolio if they're still retaining through this cycle of rates. Increasingly seeing folks sort of keep more, I'm going to say, marginal, lower credit quality servicing on their balance sheet and they're retaining that and helping them identify that that from a long-term perspective is not going to be a strong cash flow uh, cash flow for them when it comes to their servicing. So really looking at the risks, whether it's judicial, non-judicial foreclosure states, um, we run people through a gamut of risks here that we've developed at Richie May, and really forcing their hand to say, what is your actual retained strategy? What's your optimal customer? And making sure that you've got those risk factors identified in your retained released analysis, because it's it's somewhat easy to say, hey, day one, this looks like X gain or Y gain or Y loss if I kept this servicing. But understanding those long-term risks through a cycle of rates is really where I spend most of my time trying to advise clients. And quite frankly, it gets into some difficult conversations uh, when you loop in sort of a, a, a swath of you know president, owner, head of capital markets. And really start challenging the norms of what are they retaining and why are you retaining this and is that actually the asset you should be retaining versus releasing? Um, you know, right now a lot of people are selling correspondent, a lot of people are selling co-issue. Right, they need cash, but understanding uh, the different reps and warrants in that decision is also important. Right, when you're dealing with an aggregator versus an agency, you know, coming out of Philadelphia, all we heard was repurchase demands on Fannie and Freddie servicing. Well, you know, selling co-issue has a different risk factor to it, potentially, um, than selling to a correspondent that's going to do that due diligence up front.
0: It seems that servicing has been the difference between profitable companies (laughs) and unprofitable companies here in 2023, but you also advise clients on overall profitability. And, And so are there other areas that companies can focus on, whether that's driving down origination costs or switching from uh fixed cost to variable cost that that you've seen drive profitability here recently.
1: Yeah, it's a whole gamut of things that are sort of the best practices. I mean, across the Richie May firm, obviously we see people outsourcing to Richie May and other firms a basic accounting functions, right? Turning that into a variable cost versus a fixed cost. Certainly that's been done. Um some of the Richie May analyzed data on on peer view ops shows a huge difference in profitability just on the number of loan officer assistance folks have. Right. People that have aggressively cut back on sort of loan officer assistance are way more profitable today than other companies. And clearly servicing. Um, you know, the old rule of thumb I always tell people is, you know, you want to keep, you know, three to four times your production um, in servicing. So if you do a billion of production you know a servicing portfolio in the 3 to 4 billion range of UPB makes sense but today because originations are so low that ratio doesn't hold true but you're seeing people that are that appear to be sort of overweight in servicing and having a lot more servicing than originations it's that really low curve on servicing that's clipping all these cash flows for them you know, in the latest MBA data shows, you know, about 58% of companies were profitable um, in Q2, but only 40% were profitable if they didn't have servicing. So servicing is certainly carrying the day. And Robbie, it's a really tough time for the industry, right? Because owners of companies, particularly IMBs, look at that servicing asset and go, wow, I'd really like to turn all that into cash today because I, I feel like I know what Q4 and Q1 are going to look like, and CFOs are going. Yeah, but this is contributing so much cash to us right now. We're covering X percent of our fixed costs, and so it is a is a, a tightrope that those companies that haven't sold servicing are are really struggling with right now, and really trying to make sure they make the right decision for their strategy is uh, incredibly important these days.
0: We well, mentioned Q4 and Q1 and and. I want to talk strategic planning, which can be really hard considering companies are just trying to keep their head above water in the current moment. But when it comes to strategic planning, kind of a two-part question here for you, can you explain the overall importance of it and uh, then how you are seeing companies actually enact strategies?
1: I, I would say that everything is on the table at this point for uh, both banks and non-banks, right? Um, banks are... Are, are sort of under this overhang of new proposed capital rules, which let lets us face is just going to drive up costs to consumers, right? Regardless of uh, if those rules go in as proposed. Uh, so banks have a certain problem that they're dealing with, with capital, capital allocation, and where to deploy assets. And if you listen to Q3 earnings calls, you'll hear banks make the following comment. Well, our balance sheet is open to our customers. You know, we're really going to focus in on our customers. We could translate that to they're really going to focus into their retail customers that they want to do business with. For IMBs, their struggle at this point is volumes are just so low. There's a, a certain amount of critical staff that they need to just keep the business going. We just call it table stakes, right? Whether it's cyber, whether it's underwriting, whether it's just your basic technology, the table stakes are so high and they're just struggling to get to a break even amount of loans just to cover the table stakes never mind profitability so whether it's you know another cut in reduction whether it's outsourcing whether it's um, reducing hours whether it's you know you know how canceling the holiday party everything every expense is being uh, looked at very closely and you know they're trying to invest appropriately where they could keep growth going. On the other hand, it's, as you know, very active on the loan officer recruiting side. Those big bonuses aren't being paid anymore. But loan officer recruitment, loan officers are looking for somebody that's got a strategy. How are you getting through the next six months? And then what are you doing after that? And I think the more that you could articulate to prospective loan officers what that looks like, that's going to be uh, more beneficial to you on the recruiting process. No, it's not always just cutting expenses. It's also growing revenue. But it's growing the revenue in the right buckets is the is the area that I don't hear as many people talking about. It's, I'm cutting, I'm cutting, I'm cutting, but where should you be investing for the next growth cycle? And that's how you're really going to kind of grow the company through the cycle.
0: Anything you would like to touch on rather than me just controlling the dialogue here?
1: I just think that the market's just choppy, man. Like, the one thing we didn't talk about and and we can is the disconnect between these ever increasing msr values that are being driven by escrow earnings rates and the fact that the bu- the buyers aren't necessarily following suit with prices going up as much as people are putting it through their balance sheet and that's a challenge that people have to face and that you know there's a day of reconciliation where you know those escrow earnings rates are driving a tremendous amount of servicing cash flows but you know, what are you going to do one year out when that rate changes? And that rate's, you know, more likely to come down than go up. And so servicing values are just going to come down while you may not have free payment risk. And, and that's another area that we spend a lot of time trying to educate people on, the value of servicing, where those values of cash flows are and where those values might be a year from now. Uh, because a lot of it's tied to the escrow earnings rate.
0: Very well put. And there's some excellent food for thought in there for uh people listening to the podcast so thank you as always for joining me seth really really enjoyed it
1: thank you robbie it's always a pleasure and uh, happy halloween to everybody
0: this morning fannie announced that it had 4.7 billion dollars of net income for the third quarter of 2023 with net worth reaching 73.7 billion as of september 30th it is certainly being recapitalized <laughs> Net income decreased $295 million in the third quarter of 2023, compared with the second quarter of 2023, primarily driven by a decrease in benefit for credit losses, partially offset by an increase in fair value gains. Fannie acquired approximately 224,000 single-family purchase loans, of which more than 45% were first-time homebuyers, and approximately 45,000 single-family refinance loans during the third quarter of 2023. Turning to interest rates. Both a big federal budget deficit and a clearer path for the economy to return to low inflation without a recession are putting upward pressures on interest rates that will likely persist into next year. The December Fed Funds futures are nearly certain there will be no change at this week's meeting that begins today and concludes tomorrow, and the probability for a rate hike in December at the subsequent Federal Open Market Committee meeting has fallen from around 1 in 3 a month ago to 1 in 4 currently. We saw the jobs report on Friday. We also have the quarterly refunding data this week, with investors preparing for increased issuance on longer-dated tenors, as Treasury officials attempt to offset a widening budget deficit. There was some intraday speculation yesterday that the quarterly refunding statement for the U.S. Treasury could show increased borrowing needs for Q3, but the release showed that the Treasury plans to borrow $776 billion in Q4, which is $76 billion below the estimate from three months ago. Keep in mind that the last few treasury auctions didn't go well, so the bond market will be sensitive to these. Today's busy month-end economic calendar includes the Q3 Employment Cost Index, where a 1.0% quarter-over-quarter increase is expected, same as the prior quarter, as well as Redbook same-store sales, August house prices from S&P, K. Schiller, and FHFA, Chicago PMI for October, Dallas Fed Texas Services, and several treasury auctions. We begin Halloween with agency MBS prices better than Monday afternoon by an eighth to a quarter and the tenure yielding 4.83 after closing yesterday at 4.88%. The two years at 5.03%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Tonight's the night, Halloween. When does a ghost have a breakfast? In the moaning. What does a ghost drink at breakfast? Coffee with scream and sugar. Where does a ghost go on vacation? (laughs) Malibu. Where does a ghost go on a Saturday night? Anywhere where they can boo-gee. Where do the ghost get his hair done? At the boo-tea shop. Mm. What do they teach at witching school? Spelling. Why does a witch ride a broom? Vacuum cleaners get stuck at the end of the cord. Duh. What do you call a witch's garage? A broom closet. What about two witches living together? Broom mates. What do you get when you goose a ghost? A handful of sheep. (laughs) Thanks again to Richie May for sponsoring today's podcast. Richie May is a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services to the mortgage industry for almost four decades. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at com. Visit com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.